If you will, please stand with me as we read Ephesians chapter 4. We'll read verses 1 through 16. Again, we're going to be looking very closely at this word. I'm going to be pointing to verses, but I want to read uh, verses 1 through 16 first, and then we'll start to kind of unpack it. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 16. Here is the word of the Lord for us this morning. Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says, I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, When He ascended on high, He led a host of captives, and He gave gifts to men. In saying He ascended, what does it mean but that He had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by, deceit, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, We are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. This is the word of the Lord. May He be honored in our listening to it. You may be seated. Our embrace of a new identity, Redeemer Church, is part of an effort to bring gospel clarity where God is common. We're also doing this because we want to bring gospel clarity where the church is common. Church is so common. There are dozens of churches 
in this relatively small town. It is common to find this church, that church, whatever kind of church you want, it's here for you to choose from. Church is common. Church is common also in the sense that everyone I believe that I've met in this town is committed, at least they say they're committed in some way to a church. Now, you may be meeting other people. I remember, though, when we first moved to our, into our house, walking down my street and knocking on doors and talking to people, every single one of them said that they were committed to a particular church. Church is common in our area. But I want us to ask a question and answer it with, with God's Word. Does my relationship with the church, does your relationship with the church fit redemption? Does it fit the idea that Jesus is a redeemer? Does it fit your relationship with the church? Does it match up with All that we learn about the gospel in Christ's redemption of sinners. Why does Redeemer Church approach church the way that we do? Why do we say things like membership matters? Why why do we say things like membership is meaningful? Why do we call membership a covenant membership? And, And the sermon in one sentence is this. This is the gospel truth I want to get across through this sermon is that the Redeemer buys us to belong to His church. Here is the purpose, part of the purpose for Jesus shedding His blood is to buy us for the purpose of causing us to belong to His church. The first thing I want you to see from Ephesians chapter 4 and verses 1 through 6, is that we were bought to belong. We were bought to belong. You see this in the first six verses of Ephesians 4. Jesus bought us for this purpose, that we would belong to one another. Match that up with the idea of church being common. It just doesn't match up. This is why, church, we need to be very clear with the gospel. Because if we're in a place where church is very common, then the gospel needs to be made more clear. There are four common ways that Christians treat the church as too common that I want to go through. Four common ways that Christians treat the church as more common then I think the Redeemer actually wants us to treat the church. I want you to know as we go, I go through these four common ways that Christians treat the church as too common. I, I have been each of these four kinds of Christian. And I want you also to know that I believe that churches bear responsibility, at least partial responsibility for creating these kinds of Christians. I'm sure I, as a leader, and, and, and our church e- even, has, has contributed to these common wrong mindsets 
and approaches to the church. But I do want us, even as you look at chapter 5, look at chapter 5, verse 24, how it says what the church is to do. Chapter 5, verse 24, is to submit to the Lord Jesus in everything. You see that? The church submits to Christ in everything, it says in chapter 5, verse 24. So if these, these may be common ways that people treat the church. You may have all kinds of friends that treat the church in these ways, but we want to know how Christ wants us to treat the church. And here's the truth. Whenever our relationship to the redeemed, to the church, is confused, then redemption is clouded. The reason I want you to know about these four wrong ways to approach the church is because whenever our relationship to the redeemed is confused, then redemption is necessarily clouded. Two kinds of Christians who are committed on some level to the church. The first one, the Redeemer would not want you to be this kind of Christian. It is a convenient Christian. This would be the church hopper. The church hopper. Now let me, let me clarify something. There are good reasons to leave a church. There are good reasons to leave the church. I'm not saying you never, ever leave a church. You should find a church that where these three things that we are going to talk through this morning, that you're bought to belong, and then the, the next two points. Well, you should find a church where those qualities are priorities in that church, but then there's also a wrong ways to leave the church. Wrong reasons. The church hopper leaves either because they feel always called by the Lord to the fashionable church. They want to be a part of the hip place where the Lord is now uniquely working. They want to be seen as someone who belongs in that kind of group. They're always called to the fashionable place. Or you could say they're not just called to the fashionable place. They're always led from the frustrating church. They're led away from the frustrating church. I mean, the church hopper is someone who who leaves churches that talks too much about commitment. Talk too much about money. Talk too much about sacrificing how you need to give of yourself to other Christians. The church hopper will find a church that doesn't do that kind of thing. But listen, whenever your relationship to the redeemed is confused, redemption is clouded. Self-determination, self-determination never promotes the Savior. If you are someone and the way that you relate to the redeemed is all according to what you think is right, that will never promote someone who saves us from determining our future. Second kind of Christian who's committed to a church that is also looking at the church wrongly is a consuming Christian. A consuming Christian. This is a, you could call them the cafeteria Christian. The cafeteria Christian. I remember when I was in elementary school and every once in a while uh, my mom would send me with a dollar and ten cents. That's how much it cost back then to buy a lunch. I don't know what it costs now, but a dollar and ten cents and I get to go through the cafeteria line. And, and I, I was always a little bit frustrated with, 
with each of those days that I did this. I loved the, the main dish on Fridays because that was the taco salad and they had this little, little sour cream thing that I always get and I just love that so much. Uh, but I wish they had Thursday's taters. Uh, Thursday's mashed potatoes I really liked, and, but they don't ever have it on Friday. And I always wanted to have Monday's bluebell ice cream sandwich. I never could get it all in one swoop of the cafeteria line. Well, cafeteria Christians... I want you to see how wrong this is. They fill their, their spiritual tray. And they're looking for nourishment. But the way they do it is they want this church's preaching, that church's music, this other church's small group ministry, this other church's community involvement. And so they just walk through and they pick up things that they like best about different churches. And they're just consuming. They're taking. And there's a variation to the consuming Christian. It's, it's someone who is committed to whichever church will let them serve in, in the way that God has gifted them. They just chase the different opportunities for them to serve because they have this independent private sense from the Lord that they need to be used in a certain way. Listen, it is possible for even your serving to be selfish. To be self-centered. And what is really scary about that kind of approach to the church is Jesus, he said, the greatest among you will be your taker. No. The greatest among you is not someone who takes from you. It's someone who serves. And if his followers are takers, listen, if Christ makes takers, then the good news of a giver will be lost. There's also two kinds of Christians who neglect the church. They're not committed to the church really in any way. And the first is the spiritual Christian. They take the cafeteria approach to their Christian life, but their cafeteria is not inside any church because organized religion is stuffy and empty. What they're about is relationship, and and they want to nurture the relationship they have with the Lord, and they do that in whatever way that makes them feel closest to the Lord, whether that's outdoors or sitting on a horse or, 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 or listening to their favorite podcast preacher. But I, I want to submit to you that it would be difficult for the people who are suspicious of man-made religion the people who are suspicious of man-made religion and therefore they go against organized religion? How can they guard themselves against making a religion with their relationship? The second kind of Christian who neglects the church in a way that the Redeemer is not honored is the slightest, the slighted Christian, the slighted, slighted Christian. And here, I I think we should have much sympathy for people who've been hurt by the church. They feel slighted by the church. They, They have experienced the hypocrisy they've seen in churches, and so they just say, I'm done with it. But I I don't know for them how they guard themselves against self righteousness, saying, I'm righteous, all of those other people aren't, and they're not going to make me dirty. They're not glorifying the righteous one if they are being self righteous themselves. Church is common to the second group of people who neglect the church in that church is unnecessary. So you hear this phrase, it's so common. I don't need to go to church to be a Christian. 
Well, I think, I think that thought confuses birth with living. That kind of thought confuses birth with life. That kind of thought confuses becoming with being. How do I become a Christian is a different question than how do I be a Christian. Just like you do not have to eat right this second to be alive. But you do have to eat to live. There are a few things that are necessary for salvation. There are a few things that are necessary for salvation that we need to do to become a Christian. There are lots of things that are necessary for discipleship. If you're going to be a disciple who follows a Lord, you cannot be saying, I don't have to go to church to be a Christian when Jesus himself commands all of his disciples to be vitally connected to a church. Not just to go to a church, it's far higher than that. So we need a redeemed mindset when we think about the church. Christians, according to the Redeemer, should be covenantally committed to a church. I want you to hear from Ephesians chapter 4 that we were bought by the Redeemer to belong to the redeemed. We were bought by the Redeemer, and part of what he's saying is we are to belong to the redeemed. I want you to see this even in the example of the Apostle Paul. Look at chapter 4, verse 1. He says, I'm a prisoner for the Lord. How did he become a prisoner? He's like in a prison when he writes this. How did he get there? From preaching to the church. I want you to see the context of chapter 4. It starts way back in chapter 3, verse 1. When the same phrase is given, 3, verse 1, Paul says, I, a prisoner for the Lord on behalf of you Gentiles. He gets caught up in chapter 3. It's like chapter 3 is this interruption from what he wanted to say at the end of chapter 2 and then moving on to chapter 4. I, a prisoner for the Lord. He gets caught up in what, thinking about how he's a prisoner for the Lord on behalf of the church. He was preaching to the church and then they put him in jail. And he sees that as a privilege. Look at chapter 3, verse 8. To me, this Grace, this gift, this privilege was given to me. I'm in prison, but I consider it all grace. I consider it all a gift that I get to preach to the Gentiles. The unsearchable riches of Christ that got me in prison. Verse 9, I want to bring to light for everyone this plan of a mystery that was hidden for, for ages in God who created all things. God created all things for the purpose of what I'm actually preaching. And that got me in prison, but I'm so grateful to get to do this. Verse 11. God has a t- accomplished an eternal purpose, and that's what I'm preaching about. Verse 13. So, I'm in prison for you, but do not lose heart. I happily suffer in these ways for the church, for your glory. I will do these things. He's a prisoner for the Lord on behalf of the church. Paul, who's writing Ephesians chapter 4, is caught up in this costly devotion to the church that he considers nothing but grace. 
He gives us a fifth kind of Christian. This is the redeemed mindset of someone who's been saved by the blood of Christ to treat the redeemed people of the Redeemer a certain way. And it is the wowing Christian. The wowing Christian. When people ask me, what is the mission of Grand Bible Church, now Redeemer Church? I always go to the same place. It's chapter 3, verse 10. Where Paul says that the church wows the angels. Do you see that? I am preaching, which got me in prison, but that is your glory. I'm happy to suffer in these ways. I'm bringing to light the gospel. Chapter 3, verse 10. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the angels in the heavenly places. The manifold wisdom of God is now being made known to the angels in the heavenly places. You should happily covenant with a local church if you're a Christian. For this primary purpose that the church is at the heart of the eternal purpose of the God who created all things. That's how verse 9, 10, and 11 fit together. You see, Christ has accomplished the eternal purpose Of God, verse 11. Through the church, verse 10. Verse 9 says, God who created all things, created all things so that His wisdom would be made known through the church. See the great privilege of being not just a Christian who follows Christ, but a Christian who is committed to the church in such a way that the angels are wow. I want you to consider these ancient, observant creatures. How much have the angels seen? Maybe they were there whenever the Milky Way burst into being out of nothing just by the Word of God. Surely the angels were witnessing that global rainstorm that killed everyone except for Noah and those who were in the ark with Him. They witnessed the glory of God on display in destroying sinners. And they were there when God plagued all of the gods of Egypt. And they were there when they saw mighty Pharaoh and all his armies back the people of God up against the Red Sea. They saw Moses raise his staff and God part the Red Sea and the the, the people of God walk through dry land. And the moment they got saved, God caused the, the waters to come back together and crush the king of the world. Those angels were there when they saw the Son of God. Leave the presence of God and their own worship as a virgin conceived. They saw the Son of God gasp for breath, cry, grow, learn to talk, learn to walk. They saw the people who depend upon that God-man for every breath, every beat of their heart. They saw those people reject Him. They saw Him even get killed on a cross. They, They saw the Son of God not lash out and call the legion. They were ready to go to His defense. They never did it. 
He never called them. They saw all of that. What makes the angels wow? Paul tells us what makes the angels wow. What, what is it that makes the angels confess out of all that we have seen? Now, all of a sudden, we see that God is more wise than we imagined. Some people maybe are in those improper relationships with churches because they're bored. They're bored with churches. For the same reason that the angels are bored with some churches. Because churches are filled with selfish, unforgiving hypocrites. In other words, the angels are bored because they are witnessing in churches what is common in the world. They see that and they say, that's boring. That doesn't wow me. But church, listen. This is the church we want to be, the kind of church that wows the angels in chapter 3, verse 10. When a sinful people, we are sinful people, when we covenant together and we do not give up on one another, when we turn from what we want to do what Jesus says, when we as a church forbear with the annoying habits that each one of us brings into every one of these relationships, when the angels are looking down and they see people really forgive and not leave, really forgive hurtful words and hurtful actions, the angels testify, now God has outdone Himself. Look at the church. The blood of Jesus has done what nothing else in this world we've ever seen. Nothing could do this. Christ Jesus has accomplished the eternal purpose of God by making this people. So you see, the church is not common at all. In any way is the church common. Imagine, therefore, Redeemer Church. Imagine and pray for this kind of church. Pray that the blood of our Redeemer would make this kind of impact on an imperfect people. Pray that the angels would, wow, I can't believe what Jesus is doing there. You see that in chapter 4 when uh, Paul is still caught up with this vision. Chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, he says, I, a prisoner for the Lord, I'm urging you to walk in a manner worthy of that calling, of wowing the angels. Notice how you do it, verse 2, it's, You've got to be humble with one another. You've got to be gentle with one another. You've got to be patient with one another. The blood of Christ will give you this. You've got to bear with one another in love. You've got to be eager, verse 3, to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. And then in verses 4 through 6, you see the oneness, the unity. Not just a a bunch of different people pursuing their different dreams, but one body, the church, one spirit, One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. He is over all, through all, and in all. And we see Him in our unity. All who were bought by the blood of Jesus belong to the buyer. You belong to Jesus if you are a Christian. And you also belong to those He has bought. The Redeemer buys us to belong to his 
church. Point number two is that we were bought to build. You were not just bought to belong. You were bought to build. Christian. Notice in verses 8 through 10, the gospel. Therefore, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. Jesus descended at Christmas. The Son of God took on flesh, left heaven to come to earth. He was doing that because He's a Redeemer. He saw a world full of people who were captive to sin. And those people who are slaves to sin do not have the ability to save themselves. And no one else in the world, because everyone else in the world is a slave to sin, has the ability to buy their own freedom. And so he says, I'll buy it. And if I'm going to buy it, I've got to be like them. And so I'm going to take on flesh. And I'm going to go and I'm going to buy those slaves. They are unable to do it. I've got riches. I've got righteousness. I can purchase them out of their debt. And I'm willing to die on a cross to do it. If you're here... And you're not a Christian. Like you don't follow the king in everything. The Lord Jesus came to earth at Christmas for the purpose of spending his righteousness to buy the unrighteous. So if you recognize that you are unrighteous, there is a Savior who will redeem you. Turn from your sins and trust in Christ. But he who descended is also the one who ascended, verse 10 says. He ascended. He was raised from the dead. God said, you have done everything that is needed to save these sinners. And he says, verse 8, leading a host of captives. Those people who are captives to sin are now captives to Christ. And I want you to see that buying results in becoming. If you're going to understand what it means to, to be redeemed, you need to understand that when Christ buys us, it, it results in us becoming someone different. We were captive to sin. Now it's not that we're not captive to anyone. We're just captive to someone different. We're slaves to the Savior. We were slaves to self, but when He bought us, we became now slaves to serve others. Christian, you were bought To build. It is the Savior's will for you to build. I want you to see this. How these terms of being a captive of Christ and this calling of wowing the angels, this calling and being a captive, they're related to one another. Back in verse 1, you see this calling to become something that you are not. Verse 4, this calling that is a future hope to become something you're not matches with verse 13's future goal kind of language. You see that in verse 13. Build until all attain. I, I want you to see that the Gospel buys us To build. This whole passage, especially verses 11 through 16, is all about building. You see that in verse 12. Build the body of Christ. Verse 13. Attain to the unity 
grow up to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature, the fullness of Christ. It's about growing. It's about building. Verse 15, you are to grow. Verse 16, you are to grow, make the body grow and then build it up. Jesus is leading his captives to do what is to do something that is related to what he's calling them toward. He's leading his captives to do something related to what he's calling them toward. He became like us that we might become like him. This is the call. This is what amazes the angels is that we become like the Son. Sinners become like the Savior. You see that in verse 13. We become just like Him. Verse 15, in every way. If you're a Christian, this is what you want more than anything. Think about all Jesus left behind on Christmas so that He can give all of that to us. His Father, His Spirit, His inheritance all become ours because He gave all of Himself to give it to us. You want to be just like Jesus if you are a Christian. If that's not appealing to you, you're not a Christian. If Jesus is not the most lovely and beautiful being in all the world, that shows you need to be redeemed. And if you are redeemed, you see what you want to become. And that's exactly what He makes you become. Notice how He does this. Verse 11, by giving gifts. The gifts are people. You see that in verse 11? They're people who are ministers of the word. Every one of them are people who bring the word. Verse 13, we become just like him. When we understand the faith and the knowledge of the son, the truth is so very important, he says in verse 15. That's why you preach the truth to one another because we become like the Redeemer by the revelation of the Redeemer. If this is what you want, this is the way it happens. We become like the Redeemer by the revelation of the Redeemer. Becoming like Jesus happens when all, look at verse 13, all believe the singular truth about Him. I haven't spent much time talking about how important the Bible is to our church. I hope you just it's just obvious in the way that we treat the Bible whenever you gather with us. We don't need the Bible in our name to say that the Bible is something we revere. We do. We hold it up and we say, look, this is the word of God. You should believe it. Verses 14 through 16. Paul is saying, walk in a manner that's worthy of your calling. What I want you to see is that unity in the church in verses 1 through 6. It serves a greater purpose. It serves a greater purpose in verse 13. It's to bring about the unity of the faith. That we would all believe the truth, the singular truth. There's lots of other versions to it, but the singular truth about who Jesus is. We might experience him. So Christian, listen. You and I are not to use the church until you attain to Christ-likeness. You see that in verse 13? Look at the actual words. We are not called to use the church until you or I attain to maturity. 
No, that's not what it says. It says the king is calling you and me to serve his church, not use his church, but serve his church until we all attain to the calling of becoming like Christ in every way. Redemption means that the Redeemer's blood buys us from sin and self. If you are redeemed, you've been bought from the sinful focus of yourself. That's what redemption does. It saves you from sinfully always just focusing on yourself. Do you see that? We, it's not that we are called to build ourselves up in Christ and the church is convenient to that. It says we are to be built up in Christ by others and we are to build up others in Christ. Self is put away. So does our church approach church in a way that reinforces redemption? Or... Do we undermine redemption by the way that we approach church? There's a way to approach church that undermines this and just promotes the self. Here's a periodic question you can ask yourself as kind of a checkup on your spiritual health in terms of your redemption. Does my lifestyle with the church show that I've been bought from myself? Does my lifestyle with the church show that I've been bought from a sinful focus upon myself. And there's a way to go about church that does not show that. Let me give you two questions that will help you actually be honest with yourself in answering that question. The first one is, am I being carried away from Christ or am I growing up in Christ? This comes from verses 13 through 16, am I being carried away from Christ or am I growing up in Christ? It doesn't matter what you think is happening. This tells you how it happens. Those who are growing in Christ are, verse 11, sitting under gifted teachers. They sit themselves regularly under gifted teachers. They are the ones who grow in Christ. Verse 15, the ones who grow in Christ are those who are listening to the truth, not just by gifted teachers, but spoken by the members of their church. You see that? And everyone else is in verse 14. Everyone else is in verse 14. And the people in verse 14 are being carried away. They've got their own clever doctrines about who God is. Can't convince them otherwise. They're being carried away by the deceitful schemes. I think in Ephesians, that's a clear reference to the devil. He knows how you should grow. And he knows how to carry away. Who do you think really is the one who wants you in a church where the pastors and the people preach to you? And who's the one who actually doesn't want you in there? It's the enemy of your soul. Second question that will help you answer whether your lifestyle with the church shows that you've been bought from yourself is, listen, am I watching children drown? Or am I working to mature the redeemed? That's very graphic language he uses in verse 14. Am I watching children drown? Or am I working to mature the redeemed? 
Verse 12, we should look to pastors to equip us so that that we can build up his body, his church, until we all experience verse 13 of becoming like Christ and growing up in Christ so that we all would not experience verse 14. Are you making sure verse 14 is not happening? I want you to see your calling. I want you to see what's at stake. Verses 15 and 16 says, rather... Rather, you're either doing verses 15 and 16 or you are doing verse 14. If you're not doing verses 15 and 16, speaking the truth in love to your body, your church, your we, then you are guilty of verse 14, which says you are watching infinitely valuable souls drift away into hell. You need to know this about Redeemer Church. We understand that our mission is to mature the redeemed. We are to mature, make them just like Christ in every way. And we also understand that that mission applies to those who are not yet redeemed. This has to apply to those who are not yet redeemed because they too are drifting away into deception. That's why verse 11 says that Christ gives evangelists. We are to do the work of evangelism to those who don't know the gospel. Pray that we would not overlook anyone who is drowning in deception, especially not anyone in the church. Verse 16. If the redeemed are not going to drown, but instead are going to mature, notice verse 16, each and every. See that? Each and every. Each part of the body. Every joint of the body has to work together to mature. And you see also at the beginning of verse 15 and the end of verse 16, What ultimately this is about is love. Do you love the church? Do you love the church? Does your life show that you love the church? Jesus says that this is how the world will know who are my disciples. This is how people will know that people are following me is their sacrificial love for one another. Do you love the church? If you do, you'll know you need the church to speak the word to you. You need the church to to do your work of building up others, of growing others. You need the church. You will love the church because you need the church, but you'll also love the church in the sense that you will organize your life around the fact that we need you. You need us and we need you. That's what Ephesians Ephesians 4 actually says. Third thing And I'll be done. Bought to behave. We're bought to behave. We see that in verses 25 through 32. I want you to scan over verses 25 through 32. Uh, Bought to behave. I mean, that's kind of a strange way to phrase this. Um, I like the bees. Uh, They they all have bees in them. And that just sounds more true to me. And so I just had to put it in there. Bought to behave. But when you look down in these verses, 25 through 32, it sounds like a parent is telling his child to behave. Verse 25, don't lie. Verse 26 and 27, don't bottle up that anger. Verse 28, share. Verse 32, forgive. 
behave in a certain way. Verse, chapter 5, verse 1 even has the Father God addressing His children and saying, be like me. What I want you to see is that the behavior that we were bought to walk in is specifically concerned with how we behave toward the bought, toward the redeemed, toward other Christians in our church. In other words, being bought by the Redeemer is especially seen in our behavior toward the redeemed. It's just very clear in verses 25 through 22, or 32. Verse 25. Put away all falsehood, speak the church, or speak the truth with who? Your neighbor. How does he describe that? Members of the body. Verse 28. Some in the church were thieves before Christ got a hold of them, but once a thief is bought by the blood of Jesus, he's completely different. Notice how he's different. Now he's working. Why? Because someone may need him to share. He's been bought by blood. He no longer takes, he gives to them. Verse 31, put away everything that would divide you in the church. Because, verse 32, you should treat one another the way that God has treated one another. The people in the church, if God gave Christ to forgive you, you do the same to the same people. But if you go back up to verse 30, it says this is if you don't do these things, you'll grieve the spirit. In other words, this is what the spirit does. And if we're going to be this kind of church, this is the spirit must do it. The redeemer buys us to belong to and behave like the redeemed. With the redeemed. This is why membership matters. This is why membership means something. It means all of these things. It's supposed to show all of these things. And and Paul, whenever he's thinking about the church, he gives the illustration of marriage. He says this, look in chapter 5, verses 29 through 32, how he connects the issue of the church to the picture of marriage. Christ cherishes His body, the church, verse 29, because we are members of His body. And then He talks about marriage. A man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. The two shall become one flesh. I'm telling you what I mean by that, verse 32. What I mean is the relationship of Christ and His church. So when we talk about membership meaning something, we often use the illustration of marriage. It's an imperfect illustration, but it's the best analogy we got. In marriage, a man and a woman is to come together and be one flesh for life. Now, I'm not saying you have to be one flesh with one church, one body for all of your life. Not the same body like it is in marriage. This is where that breaks down, but you should learn something from marriage. You should be attached to a body all of your life. Even if you move and go to a different body, you should always be vitally connected to a body of Christ. So let's be careful about the way that we talk about church. It's fitting to talk about joining a swim team. You join a swim team. What, what, what you do when you join a swim team is you're making some sort of commitment. I'm going to practice with them. I'm going to try to help that swim team prosper. You join a swim team. You also attend 
a monthly book club. That's something you attend. It's this, it's this commitment, but it's kind of a temporary thing. It's based upon common interests. Joining and attending is probably not the best language to use when it comes to the church. It's not the best description of our relationship with the people that Christ bought with His precious blood. The Redeemer buys us not just to attend, not just to join, but to belong. Belong. I am yours. You are mine. Belong to His people. Oh God, we thank You for Your Word. We pray that You would cause it to bear much fruit. We pray that this would not just be a sermon that we ignore your truth. We pray that the will of our King would be our life and that you would make us this kind of church. Lord, I thank you for the the work you've done. This renewing work you've done is largely what we're celebrating is that you have done this among us. I thank you for the work you've done and I pray that you would do, do it all the more, that we would belong to one another that we would build up one another and that we would show our redemption in our behavior toward one another. We pray this for your glory, not for our name. Amen.